You're listening to Sleep Tight Science. Did you know that the White House in Washington, D.C. is reputed to have its own resident ghost? What? Numerous reports suggest that the ghost of Abraham Lincoln has been seen wandering the halls of this famous building. Could it be true? Hello, friends, and welcome back to Sleep Tight Science, a bedtime show that answers your questions about science. In this episode, we will start talking about the science of ghosts. But don't worry, we promise not to be too spooky, because we wouldn't want you to be spooked before bed. Have you ever wondered about the science behind ghosts? Or if ghosts were real? For as long as humans have told stories, ghosts have haunted us. From folklore to modern accounts of unexplained phenomena, the concept of a presence beyond our tangible world has fascinated and frightened us. But what if we tried to understand ghosts using science? In the realm of the unknown, science seeks to shine a light, deciphering myths from measurable phenomena. As we start learning about the science of ghosts, we'll look at the mind, brain, and surroundings to explain why people might feel or see these spooky presences. Throughout history, ghosts are often thought of as the spirits of souls or individuals who once lived among us. They're often depicted as shadowy or airy figures, sometimes appearing transparent or even as just a mist. Some stories say they can move objects, while others claim they just want to communicate or finish some unfinished business here on Earth. The stories around these entities vary widely. Some are benign, perhaps returning with messages or attempting to fulfill an unresolved purpose from their time among the living, while others are seen as more mischievous. These ghostly figures are often believed to retain their emotions, consciousness, or memories making their appearances deeply personal and frequently tied to specific locations, objects, or individuals from their past lives. Whether perceived as benign visitors or haunting presences, ghosts have been a cornerstone of cultural stories for centuries, representing our attempt to grapple with the mysteries of existence. Scientifically speaking, there is no solid evidence that ghosts exist. Most phenomena people think are ghosts 
can often be explained through other means, like optical illusions, very low-frequency sounds, or even just the power of suggestion. But the idea of ghosts has been around for thousands of years, and it's a fun thing to explore, especially during Halloween. Across the globe, cultures have had their own interpretations of ghosts. For example, ancient Egyptians believed in Ka, a spiritual double. If it wasn't properly cared for after death, it could cause mischief. Chinese folklore gives us the hungry ghosts, spirits who don't receive proper rituals after death and wander around causing trouble. In European history, ghosts were often restless souls who had unfinished business or wanted to deliver a message. Indigenous peoples had their own spirits and entities, and not all fit the ghost mold we might think of. They believed in nature spirits, ancestral spirits, and other entities. Many African cultures have deep-rooted beliefs in ancestor spirits, some of whom can guide or influence the living. The fact that so many cultures, even those isolated from one another, have stories about spirits or ghosts hints at something fascinating. Some scientists and psychologists believe that ghost stories may arise from common human experiences or fears, like the fear of the unknown or the mystery surrounding death. Shared environmental factors like the eerie sounds the wind makes or the shadows cast by candlelight might have contributed to stories too. It's also a way for humans to explain things they don't understand. After all, before we had science to explain why the wind blew a door shut, it might have seemed plausible that a ghost did it. Remember, science is all about asking questions and finding answers, even when it comes to the supernatural. So, next time you hear a ghost story, think like a scientist. What other explanations might there be? This approach can also be applied to other things, like alien spaceships in the sky, the myth of Bigfoot, and the Loch Ness Monster. Did you know that the idea of white sheet ghosts where ghosts are depicted as draped in white sheets, became popular in the 19th and 20th centuries, particularly in stage productions and early films. Before this, ghosts were often depicted in regular clothing. Have you ever been in a dimly lit room and thought you saw something eerie out of the corner of your eye? or wandered in the fog and thought you glimpsed a ghostly figure? Well, before you say the word ghost, or even call the Ghostbusters, let's see if there might be another explanation. 
Sometimes it's not phantoms, but our eyes and brain playing tricks on us. Let's learn how our eyes can be tricked. First is the limitation of our peripheral vision. Most of our visual encounters with ghosts are often glimpses in our peripheral vision. Peripheral vision is what you see on the sides when you're looking straight ahead. Like when you notice something moving beside you without turning your head to look at it. The edges of our visual field are not as adept at picking up details or colors. Still, they are more sensitive to light and movement. A fleeting shape or shadow seen from the corner of our eye might be misinterpreted as a ghostly figure, especially if we're already in a spooky context or location. Second, our eyes adapt to low light by making the rods, light-sensitive cells in our eyes, more active. However, rods aren't great at providing sharp images or discerning colors. We might misinterpret objects, shadows, or even people in dim conditions as something otherworldly. Third, staring at a bright light and then looking away can produce a lingering image, known as an afterimage. If you suddenly turn your gaze from a light source to a dimmer space, the afterimage might look like a ghostly presence. Now, let's look at how optical illusions and brains often craft their own spectral tales. First, there is pareidolia, which is the brain's tendency to see familiar shapes, like faces, where none exist. Think of the man on the moon, or seeing faces in clouds. This is a fun game too, seeing if you can see a face in a cloud or other object. In a dimly lit room or a complex environment like a forest, our brain might piece together random shapes and interpret them as figures or faces. This can easily be the root of many ghost sightings. Next, we are subject to our own expectations and suggestions. If you are in a place that's said to be haunted, your mind is already primed to see something supernatural. Combine that with dim lighting or unfamiliar surroundings, almost anything can seem ghostly. Third, atmospheric conditions like mist, fog, or dust can distort our perception and create ghostly apparitions. When filtered through these mediums, the light of a car, a flashlight, or even the moon can create seemingly ghost-like shapes. Lastly, glass, mirrors, and even water surfaces can reflect light, objects, or people, producing ghostly apparitions. If the angle is just right, a window might reflect something from inside or outside the room, 
giving the appearance of a phantom figure. So, while the ambiance of a creaky old house or a foggy graveyard can set the stage for a ghostly encounter, our eyes and brains often provide the main performance. Knowing how these illusions work doesn't necessarily take away the fun of a ghost story. Still, it does offer a scientific perspective on our spooky experiences. Can you think of a time an optical illusion made you see something unexpected? So, what do you do if a friend tells you they've seen a ghost? Before jumping to conclusions, we need to think like scientists and design an experiment to see what's really going on. To do this, we are going to use some key steps from the scientific method. Step 1. Gathering information. First, you will ask your friend to describe exactly what they saw, where they saw it, and when. You need lots and lots of detail. The more you know, the better. Step two, you need to replicate the conditions. Go to the place where the ghost was supposedly seen. Was it dark? Was there a window? Was there anything that might have cast a shadow or reflection? We want to set up everything just like it was when the ghost was spotted. Step three, observation time. Now it's time to look around. Bring a notebook and maybe even a camera. Spend time in the spot, preferably at the same time of day or night. Record anything you see, hear, or even feel. Step four. There are a number of variables you need to consider. Lighting. Are there any light sources like street lights, car headlights, or moonlight that could create shadows or reflections? Windows and mirrors. Reflective surfaces can make it seem like there's something there when it's just a reflection. Sounds. Sometimes what we think we see is influenced by what we hear. So listen closely. Step five, analyze and conclude. After gathering all the data, it's time to see what's up to draw a conclusion based on the evidence gathered. Did you notice any patterns? Anything that might explain the ghostly sighting? Remember, science is all about asking questions, making observations, and coming up with the best explanations based on science. And always keep in mind it's okay to say, I don't know. Some of the best scientific discoveries started with a mystery and a curious mind, just like yours.
Now for some listeners' questions. Boston, age five. Violet, Madeline Menzies, age seven, from Ketchum, Idaho. Greta, five years old, from Ohio. And Ivy, all asked questions about rainbows. With so much interest in these beautiful stripes in the sky, we might need to produce an episode all about rainbows. Still, first, we are going to try to answer some of their questions. What are rainbows made of? Rainbows aren't made of matter, like chairs, apples, or unicorns. They are made of light. Sunlight, to be exact, gets bent, split into colors, and reflected inside tiny raindrops. This process is called refraction, and it's like each raindrop becomes its own mini prism, spreading out sunlight into its many colors, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Why are rainbows around when it's sunny and rainy? You need sunlight, the sunny part, and something to refract or bend that light, the rainy part or the raindrops. The sunlight shines through the raindrops, bending as it goes, splitting into a spectrum of colors, and you've got a rainbow. The light source, angle, and water droplets all need to be just right for this to happen. Why can't they just appear whenever we want? While it would be amazing to summon a rainbow on command, nature has its own rules. For rainbows to appear, we need specific conditions. Sunlight and water droplets in the atmosphere. But if you're really keen on making your own rainbow, try this on your own. On a sunny day, Grab a garden hose, make a fine mist of water, and with your back to the sun, spray the water into the air. You might just create a mini rainbow right in your backyard. Thank you for the questions, Boston, Madeline, Violet, Greta, and Ivy. Our next question comes from Reese, who is eight and from Scotland. He asks, when mosquitoes bite you, does our blood taste differently by what blood type we are? Whenever I am outside, mosquitoes always seem to like me more than anyone else. But do mosquitoes have a preference for different blood types? It turns out they kind of do. Studies have shown mosquitoes are especially attracted to people with type O blood. In fact, if you have type O blood, you might be twice as likely to get bitten compared to someone with type A blood. But it's not so much about the taste of the blood. It's more about the chemicals our bodies release, which makes us more detectable to those buzzing bugs. Besides blood type, mosquitoes use other cues to find their next meal like the carbon dioxide we exhale, body heat, and even certain compounds in our sweat. 
So while blood type is a factor, it's just one of many things that makes us a mosquito's favorite snack. Thank you for the question, Reese. Our last question comes from Helia, who is nine years old. Helia asks, why do we have a nose? Our noses serve a few super important purposes. Smelling, first and foremost, noses help us detect odors. Deep inside, there's an area called the olfactory epithelium, packed with special cells that recognize different smells. Imagine a world without the smell of fresh-baked cookies. Thanks, nose. Breathing. Our nostrils lead to the respiratory system, letting air flow in and out. As air comes in, our noses warm and moisten it, preparing it for our lungs. Plus, the nose has little hairs called cilia that trap big particles like dust, and pollen, keeping our lungs cleaner. Taste. Ever notice how food tastes different when you have a cold? That's because your nose plays a big part in flavor detection. Our sense of smell and taste are closely linked. Voice resonance. Your nose, along with your mouth and throat, acts as a resonating chamber, affecting the quality of your voice. That's right, your nose helps give your voice its unique sound. So, our noses are pretty important. They help us smell the world, breathe, taste our food, and even shape our voices. Thanks for the question, Helia. Fun facts. Did you know that the biggest pumpkin ever recorded weighed over 2,500 pounds? That would make a lot of pumpkin pies or a gigantic jack-o'-lantern. Did you know that ghosts like to play sports too? Their favorite is booling. Did you know that the belief in ghosts dates back thousands of years? Ancient Egyptians believed in life after death and often depicted ghost-like figures in their art and hieroglyphics. Did you know that Halloween has its origins in the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, where people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts? Ever wonder what a witch's favorite gadget is? It's her spell checker. Did you know that in the past, it was believed that if you wore your clothes inside out and walked backward on Halloween, you would see a witch at midnight? In this episode, we learned a little bit about why you might think you saw a ghost. We noticed that a lot of different cultures have stories about ghosts or spirits, even though they are not located close by. We looked at ghosts from a scientific approach 
and found out sometimes it is a trick played on us by our eyes and our brains, like an optical illusion. We also talked about how you could design an experiment to find out what is going on if a friend or someone tells you they have seen a ghost. We also talked about rainbows, mosquitoes, and noses. We learned that mosquitoes are attracted more to type O blood, as well as carbon dioxide and sweat. This episode was made with questions from Boston, Violet, Madeline Menzies, Greta, Ivy, Reese, and Helia. Thank you to Samantha, age seven from San Francisco. Sersha Fu, aged six. Wesley Rogers. Henry, age six from Middleton, Wisconsin. Carter, age four and a half. Benjamin Pinner and Newton Pinner from Norwich, United Kingdom. Theo, age six. Rafe from Islington, England. Millie, age nine from Pennsylvania. Frank Snooker. Eli, age five from Winnipeg. Alessandro, age five. Henry, age seven from North Carolina. And Elizabeth, age eight in Cape Town, South Africa. We love getting your feedback on our show. If you have any feedback, please send it our way. And if you want to make sure to get all the episodes, please ask your parents to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever your parents listen to podcasts. And please, if you love learning about science with us, leave us a review. It may help others find our show. If you'd like to send us your questions, please send them to hello at sleeptightscience.com. Thank you. Sleep tight.